You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Anybody want some popcorn? That's a good stuff right there, I'm telling you. Well, anyway, we're in part two of our I Love My City. And uh, today, I want to speak on a, a subject that I, for me, it's, it's very heavy. And it's been something that's been weighing on my heart for quite some time. And, uh, and let me just kind of start it this way. Have you, ever, have you ever gone to the dishwasher and opened it up to get a glass, to get something to drink, maybe a cup of coffee first thing in the morning or cold water, and you reach in there and you thought someone had started the dishwasher only to discover that it had not been started. So you know what's worse than getting a glass and looking at it and realizing that the dishwasher had not been started and so you can't use that glass? The only thing worse than that is when you're taking the last sip of water and you realize that the glass was dirty. That's happened to me more than once, where you go, oh, that dried oatmeal in the bottom of that coffee cup is nasty. <laughs> but, but I say that, and, and I use that illustration and, and to, th- to say this, that what has burdened me as a pastor, and as I love our city, and as I love our church, what, what burdens me as a pastor is increasingly more and more the lines between what it means to live a holy and pure life before God and what it means to live in the world, those lines have increasingly been blurred more and more. That those who call themselves Christians do not look and do not act a whole lot different, if any, than those who make no stake or no claim to know Christ whatsoever. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I believe that that, for you, is sending a bad message. It sends a mixed message. It it sends a message that, why should I commit my life to following Jesus when those who say they are, they don't really live or act any differently than I do. They have the same habits. They have the same practices. They use the same vocabulary. And their marriages are just as wrecked as ours are. And so for for me as a pastor, I look at it and go, God in heaven looks down and wants to use our church, wants to use our church to reach our city. But the problem is, is we got too many Christians that live lives that look like this, when God has called us to live lives that look like this. And I think I would ask you this question to start out. How badly do you want to be used by God to reach your city with the gospel? How badly do you really want to be used by God? Or is this thing of Christianity and this church thing, is it just kind of like one of those many things that you do? That yeah, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't really infiltrate my social life or my work life or my home life. It's just kind of what I do on Sunday. I would just ask, how badly do you really want to be used by God to reach your city with the gospel? And let me just real quickly tell you, what is the gospel? The gospel is not just some word we use to describe the first four books of the New Testament. The gospel is the good news for those who are lost and for those who are in their sin and recognize their need for a savior. The gospel is 
saying that I know that I'm a sinner and that I deserve punishment for that sin, that I have done something against a holy and righteous God and my life is a wreck and my life is dirty and full of sin. And unless I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross, I'm headed for hell. The gospel is recognizing that Jesus took your place, that he stepped in and took your punishment for your sin. And if you will put your faith and if you will put your trust in him, you can have eternal life. That's what the gospel is. And so as a church, we have been commissioned with the gospel. You as an individual follower of Jesus have been commissioned with the gospel. So how badly do you want to be used by God to reach your city with the gospel? Here's what Jesus said about that. He said, and he said to all, all those who are listening, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He said, if you really want to be a follower of me, there's going to be a sacrifice that needs to be made on your part. It means you've got to deny yourself. It means you design, deny yourself certain pleasures, if you will, in this world. You deny yourself certain freedoms in this world. And you take up your cross daily and follow him. That means when I wake up every morning, I go, Jesus, if I'm going to be used by you as a vessel to be used in your hands, what is it today that I need to say no to? And what is it today that I need to say yes to? But too many Christians are living in two worlds. They're living in the world of Christianity so that they can get to heaven and it's kind of the social thing that they do and it looks good for those around them. And then they live in the world and act just like the world. Their relationships are just as immoral. Their practices are just as addictive and their lives are just as evil, if you will, as those who would make no stake to be a follower of Jesus. And here's what Paul said, writing to a young pastor, Timothy. He said, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. If you will cleanse yourself from everything that is dishonorable, everything that is filthy, everything that is sinful, you will be set apart and you will be usable in the hand of the master who is God. But the problem is, is God cannot use us because we are too much like this. If he were to reach into the church and grab a glass, a usable vessel, would he be able to use you and would he be able to use me effectively? Is our life cleansed enough from what is dishonorable, from the things that, as Paul talks about, would disqualify us from being valid messengers of the gospel? And here's the thing. A lot of people won't listen to the gospel message because they've seen bad Christians display their lives out there before them. Our lives don't look any differently. Our conversations don't sound any different. And our marriages are just as bad and we are just as immoral as they are. And they go, why would I want anything like that? It does me no good. I don't see anything different. And so Paul writing to Timothy says, we need to be set apart. We need to be holy. We need to be vessels of honor. So again, I ask this question, how badly 
Do you want to be used by God to reach your city with the gospel? So we're going to look at a text today in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is Paul writing to the Corinth church. We've talked about the church of Corinth quite a bit over the last several weeks and months. And this church was vile. This church was full of immorality. This church was full of false teachings. This church was full of messed up theology. They thought they could be in the world and live just like the world and that God was gonna take them out of this world and they would be forever in heaven with him. And they thought nothing about the lives they lived and the culture in which God had placed them in this evil city of Corinth. And so they were, they were partnering with immoral people. They were partnering with false teachers. They were partnering with people who believed in baptisms for the dead. They were just kind of getting out there and living out on the edge. They had one foot in the church, so to speak, because that's how they were going to get to heaven. But they had another foot, maybe even leaning into the world and all the things. And sometimes they did that just because it was pragmatic. They just thought that it would make a better life for them to live that way. That would make them happy. And so they were guilty of compromising their holiness for what they thought would be pragmatic, pragmatic purposes. And so here's how Paul starts this passage. He says, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 14, he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, this idea of being unequally, unequally yoked means to be unmatched, to be unmatched. Don't be unmatched with unbelievers. Years ago, and I've heard this passage preached many times in talking about dating and marriage. And so as a youth pastor, I would use this thing all the time. I would preach, preach, preach. As teenagers, don't missionary date. Don't go out there and date people that are not Christians and are living immoral lives and hoping that you can win them to Christ. And I would use this passage. And although Paul may mean that to some degree, it's not the only and it's not the main reason for him writing this passage. He says, I don't want you to be unequally or, or unmatched or mismatched together are yoked with unbelievers. And so this idea of being yoked, he's reaching back into a Levitical law in Deuteronomy where he talked about, where, where Moses wrote about how it was not good if you would yoke or connect an ox and a donkey. And so you just don't yoke an ox to a donkey for many reasons. Number one, the ox was a clean animal and the donkey was not. The ox was a good, hardworking animal. The donkey was stubborn. The ox was trainable. The donkey kind of did his thing. And so you just didn't yoke those two together because they were a mismatch. You would not get the job done. You would not get the purpose accomplished for which the master or the, the, uh, the, the farm worker would want to get done. And so when Paul writes this, he's saying, as a Christian, you can't yoke yourself as one of God's people to someone or something into a practice or a group of people that are not. So you don't, un, you don't yoke yourself together with unbelievers, and then he's asked five questions, or he poses five questions. They're rhetorical, but they're five questions that kind of make this point. The first question is this. He says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? This idea of partnership is being involved in a relationship with a common life or a common effort. And so when he's talking about that, he says, in your life, you cannot partner with somebody who is unrighteous or lawless. 
Because their morality is not the same. Their ethics are not the same. Their value system is not the same. And their goals are not the same. So whether it's in marriage or whether it's in business or whether it's in relationships of any kind, we have to be careful about yoking ourselves or connecting ourselves, mismatching ourselves with somebody who is an unbeliever or someone who is lawless because your value systems are not anchored in the same thing. Whereas yours as a follower of Jesus should be holy to be usable by God for the sake of the gospel, where theirs might be more selfish, where they would be want to be self-serving and, and it's all about making me happy and doing what makes me happy and helps me to live success. I don't care who I destroy in the meantime. And so we've got to be careful about how we yoke ourselves together with those who are unbelievers. But he says, what kind of partnership can they have together? What kind of endeavor could you really have with somebody that way? And he goes on, he says, or number two, what fellowship has light with darkness? Fellowship means to be pursuing the common, a common spiritual interest. And we know that you can't have light and darkness dwelling in the same room, right? We have light in this room. That's how we see. If we turn out the lights, darkness shows up and light is gone. Even in the beginning, you look at this, you know, when, when darkness was on the face of the earth and God said, let there be light. And you know what showed up? Light showed up. And guess what happened to darkness? It was gone. The two cannot cohabitate. The two cannot dwell together. And God even divided the light from the darkness. And what happened ever since then, it seems like mankind has been trying to blend the two together. We've been trying to blend light and blend darkness and see how we can blend the two together for pragmatic reasons or whatever. And so dark, darkness is the natural thing and light dispels that darkness. And so he's saying, how can you, as a believer who lives in the light, have any kind of fellowship or common interest spiritually with those who live in darkness? Question number three, or what accord has Christ with Belial? And this is a word for Satan. So what kind of accord or what kind of harmony is what he's talking about there? What kind of harmony can Christ and Satan have? Well, they can't have any, right? You couldn't have if you know what harmony is, it's like one person singing a note and somebody is a third below that or above that and, and you put those notes together and it sounds so good to the ear. And you put, if you ever listen to four-part harmony, it's just, it's such a, it's such a pleasing sound. It's so good to you. When you hear our praise team up here and you hear Anne doing the lead and, and everybody else harmonizing with her and everybody's hitting the right note and they're doing their thing, man, it's just so pleasing he's saying, what kind of harmony can Christ and Satan have together? And we would say, they couldn't have any. And so when a Christian tries to harmonize their life with the world, when we try to live in the world and act like the world and try to harmonize our Christianity with the world, you know what gets distorted? The gospel. The gospel. People cannot hear the gospel because our lives are not in harmony with Christianity, because we are trying to live in the world and, and we want to be happy in the world. And, and what happens is we try to harmonize everything. And, and, and I don't even like this word, but it seems to be the common word around today is, and that is woke. We got to be woke. We got to have, we got to say the right thing. We got to try to blend in the best way that we can. And when we try to do that as Christians, when, when things that we stand for are against God, 
When we try to, to rationalize abortion, when we try to rationalize same-sex marriage, when we try to rationalize gender changing on children and adults, and we try to rationalize that stuff for the sake of being woke, you know what gets distorted? The gospel message gets distorted. And what we have to do is we have to stand for what is right because when our lives are in harmony with what God's word teaches, the gospel becomes more clear. Although it may be offensive, it becomes more clear. We're gonna talk about how we lovingly love our world around us. We're gonna to get to that in another week. But today, it's all about how do we live holy lives in a world that is increasingly more and more against the things that we as Christians should value. Question number four, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? See, he's saying, how can a believer and an unbeliever have any kind of co-ownership together? That's what he's talking about, this portion together. You know, going into business with somebody who is an unbeliever. He's warning against that. Endeavors in Christianity and, and standing up for even social justice. We can't even align ourselves with unbelievers sometimes for that reason. Because there can't be co-ownership. And it just becomes a matter of spiritual incompatibility. And that's what happens. As Christians, we stand for certain things that is opposed in opposition to the world. And if we're going to be effective in leading our community or reaching our community with the gospel, we cannot have any portion with an unbelieving world. And then question number five, he says, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now he's getting kind of down to the core of the issue here. He said, what kind of agreement has the temple of God with idols? A lot of people equate like the church with, with God's house. And to some degree, I guess we could dip into the Old Testament and call it that. So you would be kind of weirded out this morning if you just showed up. We were kind of like one of those coexist churches, you know, where you got the little, all the different religious emblems. And we're like, show up. We're all going to get our coexist tattoos. We're going to have over here, we're going to have a statue of Buddha. So when you come in, if you like Buddha, you can come and worship Buddha. Uh, over here, we'll have uh, some kind of a statue to, to Muhammad, and we'll have all these Gandhi quotes all over the church, and, and we'll just try to do all that we can to just include everybody. Some of y'all would come in here and go, what, has Marty lost his mind? And that's not the guy he is, because he said, you can't have agreement in the temple of God and have idols set up. So he's going back into the Old Testament again. And he's going, listen, for we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. And he's about to tell us, he's about to dip into some Old Testament passages here. But he's saying, what agreement would you ever say that the temple of God would have with idols? And at this point in history, when Paul was writing this, the temple was still standing on the Temple Mount. The greatest temple, the largest temple that was ever built in all of history the temple that Herod had built. And he was saying, you would be weirded out if you walked into the temple of God on the temple mount and you saw any kind of idols in there. You knew that they didn't belong there. He said, so what happens is you now are the temple of the living God. Whenever, Christ, whenever you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. You are now the temple where God's spirit dwells. He's saying, so as you would be weirded out by the temple of God having idols in it, you should be weirded out by you being a temple of the living God and having idols in your life, things that would defile the temple of God. And he says, here's what he said. 
I will make my dwelling among them and I'll walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He's talking about the, the, the Old Testament tabernacle. He was telling these children of Israel who had come out of Egypt, now listen, you build the tabernacle according to my specs and that's where the, the, the presence of God is gonna dwell there and you will be my people and I will dwell among you and you will know my presence is real. And so as the temple, as the tabernacle moved, so did the presence of God, moved with the people. Then ultimately they set up the temple in Jerusalem and God's presence dwelt there. But in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is not the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church building. This is where the temples of God dwell. We come and we worship together. So he's quoting back there this Exodus passage and he's saying that I will make my dwelling among them. I'll walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst. Now he's dipping into Isaiah and Ezekiel where he's talking about coming out of Babylon, coming out of Assyria. Therefore, go out of their midst, be separate from them. Be different from the Babylonians. Be different from the Assyrians. Say the Lord, and t- or says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. You live a holy, sanctified, set apart, cleansed life. And when you do that, I will welcome you. I will be able to use you. But not until you decide to do that. You may be a follower of Jesus or you may be a believer in Jesus and your life can look like this and God says, listen, I can't use an unclean vessel. I can't use you because you're, you're filthy with the world's ways and the world's goods. You've allowed those to creep into your life. He goes on, he says, and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So what God was basically saying to the nation of Israel and Paul dipping back into that pass, those passages in, in 2 Corinthians, he's basically saying God expected his redeemed nation to act like it and God expects his redeemed church to act like it. He had a standard for the Israelites and as you and I are followers of Jesus, there are promises to us and he's saying, I expect you as my church who are the temples of the Holy Spirit, little temples walking around representing Christ, I expect you to act like it. I expect you to abstain from certain things. I expect you to talk differently. I expect you to to live a moral, upright life. I expect your language to be different. I expect the way you to treat people to be different. I expect certain things from my little temples walking around with my dwelling inside of them. And then he jumps down in chapter seven, verse one, which I believe ought to be in chapter six because he kind of closes all of this out. And he says this, he says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Holiness should be the goal of every believer. And what Paul is saying right here, he is saying, since we have these promises, beloved, let us take our filthy, dirty lives and let us cleanse them from any defilement, whether that be a bodily defilement or whether that be a spiritual defilement. He says, you need to cleanse yourself so that you can be holy before God and you can be a usable vessel. Not one that goes out into the world and you go, hey, let me share the gospel with you. And somebody looks at you and go, why would I listen to that from you? 
What's different about your life? You're living with somebody you're not married to. You've got the same practices and the same addictions I've got. You've got the same secret lifestyle that I've got. Your language is no different than my language. And so you've disqualified yourself. And what God is saying to us today, and I don't know how to preach this any harder, what God is saying for you and me who are followers of Jesus, set your life apart and live differently. It's not just good for you and your family. It's good for the city in which he's placed us. And why would you allow yourself to be defiled by all the worldly things around us? And because holiness should be our goal, number one, our behavior should reflect who we are in Christ. You know, I can have freedoms in Christ, but I can say no to certain things because I believe those things defile me and disqualify me as a valid pastor. There are certain things that, that I probably could participate in, but then you would show up here on Sunday morning and you go, I'm not sure I can listen to him about that. I'm not sure I can listen to him preach. So, I have to place my life above reproach as much as I possibly can so that people will listen to the message that I preach. I want my, my, my marriage to be healthy so that when I preach on marriage, you don't go, why would I listen to that guy? I want my family to love God and to honor God and to serve God so that if I ever preach on raising children, you would go, he might have something to say that I could listen to. Because I think that the message that we preach ought to line up with the life we live. And as followers of Jesus, you are the same way and you should be the same way. You're not a preacher in the sense that I am, but you're a preacher of the message of the gospel every day that you live in this world. And so let our lives line up with the holiness that God wants for us. And let our behaviors reflect who we are in Jesus Christ. And our closest unions that we have should be with believers who share our same desire for holiness. And the problem is, is we've locked arms and we've gotten into a relationship with other people who call themselves believers and they don't have a desire for holiness. And so we, we take on their same practices, we take on their same habits, we start living the same way they do. And what Paul is saying in this, he said, as a follower of Jesus, connect yourself, yoke yourself with somebody who is going to cause you and urge you to be holy. And so I just have a couple of questions for you to think about, four to be exact. That's not a couple, that's four. What is standing between you and the holiness God desires for you? Let me ask it this way. If a perfectly holy life before God was a 10 on a scale, if this was a 10 on a scale of, of, of your holiness, where would you stand? What number would you put with it? Well, I'd put maybe a four. Maybe somebody in here would say a seven. Maybe somebody would say an eight. And my question to you would be, what is it that stands between you and this? What is it that's in your life now that's causing you not to be a usable vessel in the hand of God? What is in your life and what keeps you, what is standing between you and the holiness that God desires for you? And to follow up with that, is it something or someone you are pursuing more than you're pursuing God? Is it a relationship? Now listen, what Paul is not talking about is if you're in a marriage right now with somebody who's an unbeliever, he's not saying go divorce them tomorrow. He's not saying that. 
Because even in another part, Paul talks about the fact that if you're a believer and your spouse is an unbeliever, you stay married to them so that by your righteousness, they might come to a place of salvation. So he's not talking about that. But if you're in a relationship right now, whether it's a, a dating relationship, whether it's a, 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 another type of relationship, friendship or whatever, is there something or someone that you're pursuing more than you're pursuing God? Is there a habit or is there an addiction that you cannot or you will not break and you're allowing that to keep you from being holy, to keep your life from being usable by God? And finally, Maybe there's a desire of your heart that is not in line with God's desire for what he wants for you. Listen, church, I love you and I care for you. I care for your spiritual growth. And all those sermons like this sometimes are very difficult to hear. I think we need them. Sometimes we need to take an inward look at our lives and you go, you know what? I have been way too comfortable in my sin. I've been way too comfortable living in the world and acting like the world. And God is calling us to a holy, separated, set apart life so that he can be used, or so that we can be used in the hand of the master. And will you say yes to that kind of a life today? Will you get on your face before God and cleanse your life of the filth and the dirt that is in there. Or will you just continue? Continue down this path that at some point is going to lead to destruction. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Gosh, today would be a great day to do that. You can meet Tom or myself down here, or you can meet us back in the guest VIP room. If you're online, send us a message. We would love to talk to you about how you can say yes to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's all stand together. Father, my prayer today is that we use the words of Paul and God in the words that I've spoken today and your Holy Spirit anointing those. God, I pray that you will convict us of our sin and call us to a place of holiness so that we can be used by you to share the message of the gospel with the world around us. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.